0: Well, today we begin a new chapter, a new sermon series, a sermon series that I have entitled The Ministry of Reconciliation. We find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 21 today. So turn in your Bibles there 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. And though we do begin a new sermon series today, we are not beginning something new. The sermon series is really meant to be a continuation or a follow-up of the book of Revelation, because we had the opportunity to behold many glories in Revelation, amazing, awesome things, and I know that I at least have been gripped by the immense and important responsibility that Christ has given to the church, an immense responsibility. I I hope that you have likewise been gripped. We'll talk about that responsibility more shortly. But Revelation, what we saw in Revelation, it was telling us that unquestioningly, Jesus Christ is the victor of history. He is the hope of the nations. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. There is no eternal life without him. And today, Christ reigns on heaven's throne. As Peter writes, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus is king today over the power of sin. He offers freedom and forgiveness to all who come to him because he has conquered sin. He is king over the power of death. He has conquered death and he offers eternal life to all who trust their lives to him. Angels and demons and all spiritual beings have been subjected to Jesus And ever since Christ's ascension, Jesus reigns as the indisputable king of heaven. He is the king. But heaven is not the only place that falls under Christ's domain. Revelation also shows us that Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, this kingdom unites heaven and earth. It, It draws them together at the moment of the cross. Jesus began to pull heaven and earth together. Like we read in Revelation chapter 11. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so since Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, Jesus reigns forever over heaven and earth And just before ascending to that throne, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So could Jesus have been more clear? In no uncertain terms, he's declaring that he is the supreme king. Okay, so I think that we have an easier time understanding what that means in heaven, that Jesus is the king of heaven. Clearly he rules sin and death Clearly, he rules over the angels and the demons and all spiritual beings, and that's what it means to be king over heaven. But we have a harder time, perhaps, understanding how he currently reigns as king of the earth. How is he reigning over this planet? Just take two seconds and look around the world. We can't escape all of the evil and the misery and the disaster and the death that pervades every part of creation. So how is he king over all of this? Is it all a part of his kingdom? Yes. And no. The writer of Hebrews puts it in a, in a, very, helpful, puts it in a very helpful way. He says, Now in putting everything in subjection to Jesus... God left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So, do you hear what the writer of Hebrews is teaching us? Everything has already been subjected to Jesus, he is king over it all, he reigns. But it might not look like that in all of the ways that we want or expect. We might not be able to see it so clearly. And this is, the, this is the testimony of the New Testament that the kingdom of Christ has come, and it is yet to come. It is here, and it is coming here more completely, more fully. Jesus told us a parable about this so we could wrap our heads around that concept. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus was that small seed planted into the garden of humanity now from him something enormous is growing that will fill this whole garden in which we all live. So how does that happen? How does that mustard seed grow? How is the kingdom of God supposed to fill this garden? How are we, how are we able to see, as Christians, this ever-increasing kingdom of God so that we know... That Jesus is king, not just of heaven, but king of this earth too. How do we see that manifest in our world? I'm glad you asked. Because God has ordained that this seed grow, this, this tree grow, his kingdom increase, that Christ's reign expand through the mission and the work of the church. As the body of Christ grows and and expands and matures and, and conquers, the transformative power of the gospel is remaking the world around us, remaking people's lives and individual by individual, and then the world that surrounds all of us. The church is God's agent of advancing the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. Or you might say, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. And we, the church, have been given the Ministry of Reconciliation, which is the title of the sermon series, the Ministry of Reconciliation. So today, as we begin this sermon series and look at this passage, I want to cast a vision for this sermon series, but really it's beyond this sermon series. It's about the Christian life. It's about how we are supposed to live. I want to cast a vision for that as Scripture is laying it out for us. And then today, I also want God's purpose. I want you to see God's purpose for the church, which is to reconcile the world to himself. And I want you to see also that your identity is intrinsically linked to that purpose. So that's what we hope to do this morning Let's read this passage now, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Father, these these words that we have just read present to us such a high calling. Give us eyes to see that calling, heart that beats with passion to fulfill that calling. Let's be faithful and obedient to be ambassadors for you and not shrink back from it. You've created us for this. Now allow us to live faithfully in it even as we receive your word this morning. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever wondered what God's purpose for all creation is? Like the most ultimate highest purpose? I hope you've thought about that, and I hope that many of you can answer it. The highest purpose in the mind of God for all creation is that he be glorified. All things are to glorify God, or as Paul writes, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All things are for the glory of God. All creation exists for the glory of God. God exists for His own glory. It is the highest purpose. There is nothing beyond it. So all creation in heaven and on earth is for the glory of God. And didn't we see that beautifully pictured multiple times in Revelation as we saw all creation surrounding the throne and the Lamb and erupting in worship of Him? That's the ultimate reality, portrayed for us. But beneath this great ultimate purpose, there are penultimate purposes, slightly lesser purposes that serve the greater purpose, accomplish the greater purpose. And on planet Earth, where we happen to live, there are particular ways through which God plans to glorify himself through which God plans to accomplish his ultimate purpose. Our passage today contains two of the most clear, most profound statements of how God intends to glorify himself on earth. These two purposes cannot be divorced from one another. They work together like a husband and wife, Work together like a, a head and a body work together. Maybe like a melody and a harmony work together. So first, let's go with that image. The melody. The melody is the center of a song, right? It's, it's the thing that draws you in. It's the thing, the thing that gets stuck in your head and it stays with you. The, the song is for the glory of God, but the melody carries the tune through which he is glorified. And the melody of this God-glorifying song is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See that in verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's the center of the passage today both in, in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. The, the melody, the center of the song, today, is where we, that's where we start right here with this gospel of Jesus Christ because everything in the passage and everything in reality builds itself around that, that great melody. And so here's how it sounds. When sin entered the world, humanity falls away from God, crashes, into devastation. And ever since, every single human that is born is born a broken sinner. A sinner by birth and a sinner by choice. We are enemies of God, children of wrath by nature. And because of our rebellion against God, all physical reality was subjected to futility. As Paul writes in Romans eight ten or 8.20. Our, so our corruption spills out of us upon the earth in thorns, in death. And indeed, death is the consequence of sin and every sinner deserves to die. Every one of us born into sin, chosen, choosing to sin, every one of us deserves to die. But out of the devastation of, of the fall, this melody begins to rise, this melody rising and building, reaching crescendo when God the Son takes on human form and becomes flesh and blood like one of us. The melody of creation is that God is reconciling a fallen world to himself through Jesus Christ and all of it for his glory. And you see how he does it? It tells us right there in in verse 19. By not counting their trespasses against them. This is how he is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. By not counting their trespasses against them. So God reconciles the world to himself by forgiving sinners. He's turning his enemies into allies. He's turning rebels into family members. And this happens through Jesus Christ. How, how does that happen through Jesus Christ? What are the mechanics of that? That's verse 21. Look at verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a very succinct gospel announcement or gospel description. On the cross... Jesus chooses to sacrifice himself, his perfect life, on behalf of ours, in our place, our substitute. All the sins of the elect placed upon his shoulders. He suffers our shame. He suffers the separation we deserve from God. And he suffers our death on the cross. He became sin when we were the sinners. He suffered the consequences we have earned. And it doesn't end there, because behold, from this empty tomb bursts the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it soars to the highest heights of heaven, where we are seated with Christ, as Ephesians two six tells us. We are seated with Christ at the right hand of God, from grave to heaven's throne. Second Corinthians five twenty one says that Christ has given His own righteousness. To all who believe, you, wretched and pitiable and poor, and yet God has flooded you with such extravagance of love, once wretched, now beloved, once pitiable, now lights of the world, once poor, now possessing everything. Is there no measure to the love and the generosity of our God? And so as we see his immeasurable grace poured out upon undeserving sinners, it should fill every one of our hearts, unifying all of our hearts to glorify him who is merciful, who gives his favor to the unfavorable. And we do it through this melody of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended to the throne. Jesus became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. That's a transformation so complete, so thorough and exhaustive that Scripture calls it new creation. That's verse 17 in our passage therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come jesus reconciles you to god by recreating you by making you new for when he gives to you the holy spirit to dwell in your heart faith springs to life, and you are made new, or you are born, born of the Spirit, as Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit." If you are in Christ, then the Spirit is in you, and God has recreated you. He has made you new. The old has passed away, the new has come. Paul understood this so powerfully in one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. You see, being a new creation means that everything is different now. Everything has changed. It cannot remain the same. It must not. You no longer live like you once did This person enslaved to sin with sinful desires and selfish pursuits, that's not you anymore. Now you live as one united to Christ, in Christ, pursuing the things of Christ, advancing his kingdom, living for his kingdom, not your own kingdom. You have been made new. And this is the God-glorifying melody of the gospel And there is another part. There is a harmony. For immediately after that crescendo, when God becomes flesh, the harmony enters the song. And this is the second penultimate purpose in our passage today. The second penultimate purpose for your reality, your existence. And it's another complementary way through which God glorifies himself. Look at that in verse 18 now. All this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation? God has given us, us the church, the ministry of reconciliation. Man, that should blow your mind. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is reconciling the whole world to Himself, and the way He accomplishes that is by giving us the mission of re- the ministry of reconciliation. He's doing it through the mission and work of the church, reconciling the world to Himself. It's the harmony that we carry—a ministry of reconciliation. The melody is Christ and his gospel. The harmony is the church going to the ends of the earth and proclaiming that very gospel. Look how verse 20 builds on it. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that means now that we are ambassadors for Christ. So in case you're unaware of what an ambassador is, it's a, it's a high-ranking diplomat temporarily sent on assignment from a foreign country in order to represent and uphold and advance the interests of that home country, the place from which they were sent. They carry great authority with them. And we know from Revelation and elsewhere but we know that our home country is the new jerusalem is the kingdom of god therefore we live in this world to represent and uphold and advance and advance the interests of the kingdom of god and of christ our king you you live You live and breathe and have your being so that you can represent, uphold, and advance the interests of the kingdom of God and Christ the King. But here's the difference between the kingdoms of men and the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is coming to rule the kingdoms of men because Christ is already the king of the earth. So we're not going away to a different place, to some other home or some other dimension. We're not going to escape to a foreign land and then wait for this place to burn. Remember the words from Revelation? He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So God's recreative work starts with individuals, person by person. God reconciling us to himself through Jesus Christ, as Second Corinthians 5.18 says. But it doesn't stop at individuals. It doesn't even stop at nations. Again, like we see in verse 19, God purposes to reconcile the world to himself through the mission and the work of the church. God is reconciling the world to himself, making all things new. That's That's like saying the same thing. God reconciling the world to himself. God making all things new. It's the same. He doesn't make everything new by destroying it and starting over. He makes it new by reconciling it to himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors sent to transform this earthly kingdom into the heavenly kingdom the heavenly kingdom that is already here and is coming in greater and greater waves. Every person that receives the gospel of Jesus Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit and is made new is a person that has entered and expanded the kingdom of God. Every broken family that is reconciled to God and then reconciled to one another that's territory conquered by the kingdom of God. Carenet's building in Utica and the one in ilian they were once used to perform abortions. Now they are used to save the unborn, the kingdom of God advancing. Iran, one of the most anti-God and oppressive governments on the planet, is today, the government is today rapidly decaying because the, the most profound revival on earth is happening there. The kingdom of God is advancing. And every one of these examples and the countless more that are out there are happening at the hands of the ambassadors of Christ. People are are behind that work. They're getting dirty, they're suffering, they're doing. And Jesus is working through his body. God is reconciling the world to himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are the ambassadors that carry the gospel. So say it again. God's purpose for the church is to reconcile the world to himself. The gospel is the melody, the gospel proclaiming spirit filled church is the harmony. The song is to the glory of the Father. Now let's consider how this great purpose or these two penultimate purposes are inextricably linked to our identity. See verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Every Christian has a new identity. We are new creations. Once we were children of wrath, Now we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And so that that comfortable, unconcerned, selfish way of living that we once were and did, that's passed away now. That's dead now. What has come are these newly created people, forgiven and reconciled, that love and serve and give their lives away for Christ's sake and the Gospels as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Jesus said we will lose our old way of living and live in a whole new way now. Because we are new creations, so we live in a newly created way. We no longer live for self like the rest of the world lives. We live under Christ. We follow him, even if, even if it means physical, physical discomfort or we lose our physical lives. We follow him because we know that these short and momentary lives are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. And that's not, though, that is not the end of our identity in Christ that we see in this passage today. There's a second part to that identity. For to be made new is to be made into something new, is to be given a, a purpose, a job, a commission. And we're not to just sit around and be happy with our newness, though that's a good thing. But that is not where it stops. This new purpose, this part of your identity, is to grip everything about you. The second part of our identity in Christ is clearly stated at the beginning of verse 20. We are new creations and we are ambassadors. So we already discussed what it means to be an ambassador, what that looks like. We live in a world to represent, uphold, and advance the interests of the kingdom of God. And as ambassadors, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The reconciliation that God purposes for the world, wills for the world, that reconciliation, he entrusts it to us. So I have labored this point now, right? Do you feel that? I have labored that point. But that's because we need it to be drilled into our heads and in our hearts. We need it to penetrate the deepest parts of who we are. We need it to shape our lives. You are new creations and you are ambassadors. That means you cannot be a new creation and not also be an ambassador, You cannot be an ambassador if you have not been created new. You cannot have one without the other. You must have both, and you are both, in Christ, if you are truly Christ's. So rejoice in your newness of life. Rejoice in the fact that you have been made new. You have been saved, you've been forgiven and redeemed and reconciled unto God. Know these things deeply and rejoice in them. They are your joy. To the glory of God. But are you equally stirred and moved. Transformed by the reality that you are an ambassador of Christ. That God is entrusted to you. The ministry of reconciliation. The ministry that unites heaven and earth. What an incredible job that is. So I hope that you are stirred. Because there is a lot of work. There's an enormous task that's right in front of us. The whole world <laughs> reconciled to God. No person, no, even no, no local church can fulfill that mission. So what we can do is look at our local context. The one in which we have direct influence that we can, that we can impact today. So I want to do that for a moment. I want to consider the context in which we live. This population here, Emmanuel's population, we live mostly in two counties, Oneida and Herkimer. So I want to show you some numbers from the latest census about these two counties. Combined, in Oneida and Herkimer counties, there are 291,410 people living So almost 300,000. Of that population, again, according to the last census, the Protestant population, 25,813. 8.9% of the population, 8.9%. Dare I say that just being Protestant does not mean Christian, does not mean a follower of Christ. But with that generous number, do you know how many that means are lost? I want you to remember this number. 265,597 people are going to hell if they die today. 91% of the population of Oneida and Herkimer counties. And I hope that that troubles you. That's a lot of souls passing into eternal destruction. And small compared to our state. 20 million people in New York, maybe 2 million are saved. Almost 18 million people going to hell? Man, the task is big. That burden of responsibility Christ has placed on our shoulders, church, to reconcile this Mohawk Valley, the state, unto Him. He has placed us as ambassadors here, here. In the Mohawk Valley, here in this moment of time, we are here to be ambassadors to these people around us that are perishing. Who else is going to do it? It's our job. So I know that that's staggering and troubling. Rightly. But here's a hopeful thought. If we put all of our lives together right now and we add up all of our families and our friends and our classmates and our coworkers and our neighbors and teammates, all of those that we have direct influence on, we easily have a direct influence on 5,000 people. That's that's without going out of our way. Imagine what would happen if just 50 of them, of those 5,000, were reconciled to God and made new. Just 50 of them. They then become ambassadors. Of Christ, then they begin to spread the good news of the of the kingdom of God, to make a difference as they influence their community and they make disciples and then their disciples make disciples and so on it goes. That's the model of New Testament disciple making disciples making disciples. This is New Testament evangelism and it has an exponential concept built into it. it reality doesn't always play out exponentially, but the potential is there. Of the 5,000 people that we have a direct influence on, if only 50 came to Christ, how many thousands more might come from them? But I have an assumption that I want to share with you right now. One, we're bad ambassadors. Two, we feel guilty about it. We know that we should be evangelizing more. We should be doing it better somehow. We've made too few disciples. The best of us have made too few disciples. Sorry to the best of you. We've not been able to live out the Great Commission as we want to, and this church was once condemned publicly for failure to meet the Great Commission. So I want to share with you three reasons why I believe We lack evangelization, great commission confidence. The first reason is laziness. We're comfortable. We are comfortable people. And telling telling people about Jesus is very uncomfortable. It can get, yeah, it can get bad. (laughs) And so we leave it to the evangelists. We leave it to the pastors. We leave it to those who are gifted in evangelism. They are the professionals. No, you're the ambassadors. You, this is a priesthood and a prophethood of all believers. You are the ambassadors of Christ. The job is yours. It is your identity in Christ. So you must be about it and not be afraid to get uncomfortable. Okay, so the first reason was laziness. The second reason is fear. Some of us really do run a risk of losing friends, maybe family members, maybe we lose our jobs, maybe we lose our reputation or it's tarnished in some way if we talk about Jesus Christ. But Jesus said that we must take up our cross and follow him to the place of dying. Do we really entrust our lives to him and our reputations and our resources? So much so that we're willing to lose them So like we read in Revelation over and over again, you are conquerors. Be conquerors. Be courageous in Christ. He is king of all the earth. He possesses everything. All things will be put into subjection to him and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So what are you afraid of? If God is for you, who can be against you? third reason there's a lack for evangelization is that we're ill-equipped. We want to be better ambassadors, but we don't know how. You might not feel confident in the things to say. You don't know who to approach, and, and if you have an inkling of who you can approach, then how do you approach them? What do you say that isn't awkward? You might feel like you've been dropped into the middle of a song, and you know the song, but you have no idea how to play this instrument you've been given. Well, laziness and fear, I think they will be conquered by listening to the Word of God, trusting Christ, and obeying Him. And we can encourage each other in that. But training is something that we need to be in, in, uh, intentional about, purposed. So through this sermon series and through a class that is soon coming to Emmanuel, I want every person in this church to be trained, to receive training to be able to identify, how do you approach somebody with the gospel? When you get there, what do you say to that person? What are, the, what are some effective ways of sharing your faith? I want your evangelistic confidence to grow. I want you to be an ambassador who feels like they have authority, and not just one that's whimpering by. Not one that's racked by guilt, but Success. And success doesn't mean converts. Success means proclaiming the gospel. We'll get to that more in the future. So I want these things to happen through this sermon series and through some of the things we're doing at Emmanuel that we would be confident ambassadors of Jesus Christ. New creations living in a whole new way. Bringing a new creation with us. So over the next few weeks we're going to see these things. Next week we're going to begin looking at we're going to look at how Everybody around us, whether we know it or not, whether they know it or not, everyone around us knows God. Then, the following Sunday, we're going to consider that message of the gospel. What is that message? How do we, how do we articulate it? Do we know it? Then, what do we do when someone is receptive to that message? How do we find that person of peace? Then we will uh, talk about clearly sharing the gospel. So you have the gospel. You've identified who might receive that gospel. How do you clearly share that gospel? We'll talk about discipling. We'll talk about helping to lead people through the Bible. All kinds of wonderful, very practical things that I think, I hope, my prayer is, will make you more confident ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Because we don't want to go out into this hostile world ill-equipped. Or be in the middle of a song and be clanging around. Even still, the best trained athletes, they need to exercise, they need to eat right, they need to practice, they need to be disciplined. So you can receive all the training in the world, and then if you don't do anything with it, that falls on one person. Training is not playing the game. So we will train together, we will encourage one another, we will learn, and then we will go out as ambassadors of Christ with a ministry of reconciliation, telling everybody about how through Jesus they can be reconciled to God. Look at that, verse 20, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have been reconciled to God. We are new creations in Christ. We are caught up in this melody of God's great purpose to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus Christ. Now take that to the world. Carry that harmony into this world. Jesus is king of all the earth, and the people need to know it. Father, we thank you so much for The work that you have done in us to recreate us and make us new, transforming us into the image of your son. Amazing. And now help us to be faithful to the calling that follows, that we would be faithful ambassadors, obedience and confident and and disciplined, going and proclaiming with all boldness and courage, conquerors, bringing honor and glory to your son, to your name, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is done in heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.